Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 52, the happy recap. I know the last episode was a little bit of a bummer. This one is a little bit of an upper, I guess. Uh, Hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday at A. Gross Newsday, and the Islanders keep it alive with a 2-1 double overtime win. Uh, Exciting because they won, not necessarily the most excitingly played hockey game, if that's an English phrase or, or not, I'm not sure, but we will have a game six on Thursday night as the Islanders try to further dig out of the 3-1 series hole they're in. And of course, the key moment, the key aspect of the Islanders winning tonight is it means Colin Stevenson will not be correct in (laughs) saying the Lightning we're going to win in five games. So we're good. Anyway. Uh. I got the I got the I got the lightning in six, but I, I should uh, I'll I'll bring that up after we'll see how things go Thursday night. And that was Neil Best, who is joining me once again, and I'm also joined by Colin Stevenson. Colin, how you feeling, buddy? I'm I'm doing good. It was uh, you know, listen, double overtime hockey. What could be wrong with that? Well, I mean, like like I said, it was not the most you know, exciting brand of hockey, but the Islanders get it done. And uh, I, I, obviously that's the key thing. You know, Braden Point is missing again for the Lightning. John Cooper said after the game, it's too early to tell whether he'll be available for game six. And the Islanders go to 11 forwards and seven defensemen, bringing Johnny Boychuk back in. And I, I don't know, you know, Barry Trotz said a lot of that had to do with wanting uh, Johnny's attitude and fresh legs and adrenaline and old school mentality in the game. But I- I'm wondering also how much of it is a reaction to Casey Sezikis being injured. I got to think it's, it's, uh, it has a lot to do with it. No, I mean, if, if Sezikis is playing, I mean, you could still die. I guess you could have taken Broussard out of the lineup, um, and gotten Boychuk in, but, uh, you know, if your choices are, you know, Ross Johnston, who played in game uh, four, uh, or Michael Dalcall, who was uh, dressed for the warm-up uh, for game five, or, you know, Andrew Ladd, um, then why not this? Neil, let me, let me ask you this, because you wrote about this both before and after the game. You started writing about Matthew Barzell and what needed to be gotten out of the Islanders' top-line center, and you ended by writing about Jordan Eberle and uh, his double-overtime winner. How how big a moment can this be for the Islanders, uh, you know, to to get something out of Jordan here? And, you know, what are your thoughts on him being able to build some momentum off of this? Yeah, well, obviously it would be a huge – you know, the fact that that, that Lee and Eberle combined for that was – Obviously, it was important to win this game, but in terms of moving forward, yeah, they need, they obviously have needed more out of them. And if this jump starts them, that'd be great. You know, even though nobody ever believes sports writers, it's true that we root for stories and not teams. And, and in this case, it was a great story. I was watching with my daughter, and earlier in the, one of the overtimes, and Everly had a chance. I'm like, I need Everly to score here because this is a good story. And, and sh- you know, sure enough, he did, obviously. But, 
you know, the guy got demoted to the third line before the game, although I know the lines were all mixed up because they had 11 forwards. But still, he got he got demoted before the game, even though by the end he was back with his buddies. So it's a great story, and it's – yeah, and of course it's important for the team. If they start getting consistent production from him, it changes the whole look of that team. Um, so that was – yeah, it was a huge moment. I mean, it wasn't the hardest goal to score. Anders Lee did all the work. But, the, but, he, still, but he still scored it, and that's what matters. Um, so yeah, let, let, let's. Why, why is that? I mean, yeah, Collins laughing. Andrews, Andrews did do all the work. Well, Shaq, it's just the way you put it. It's like you write a story about Jordan Everly, and, and the whole column's about Jordan Everly, and here you are going, yeah, oh, but this no. well, he scored the goal. He scored the goal. That's what you know. That scored the goal. I could have written Andrews also. I couldn't read Kirk for fanning on that shot at the point. And really, he maybe he was more responsible than the other two. I, don't know. I I thought Anders was pretty much unbelievable for most of the game. The 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 work he put in and and the and the plays he made. Now you talk about Jordan Eberle's winner. He gets the puck after Kevin Shattenkirk basically fans on a shot all the way up ice, and then he chips the the, the puck off the boards to himself and then manages to find Jordan Everly, like you said. I mean, Jordan was staring at a lot of net there. But I also love the sequence when Scotty Mayfield breaks a stick in the defensive zone. And, you know, Scott's obviously had problems with his sticks in the playoffs <laughs> after the, uh, the, the, the overtime winner against him, uh, the, the, the double overtime winner against him when he broke a stick. But, but Scotty breaks his stick. And you see Anders hand off his stick. Now, Anders is a lefty. Scotty's a righty. Um, so Scott's playing with a, with a lefty stick. Anders is up top around the blue line without a stick. And I think, I think he blocked at least – I know he blocked at least one shot. It might have been two. But he, he continually put pressure on – you know, the, the point men, and, and he, you know, it was a long shift in the Islander zone and they, and they survived it, but they might not have with, without Andrew's work on that shift. Uh, that was, a, yeah, obviously that was a great sequence, but what I remember most about that was, you know, usually the guy in that position, he has to be a little conservative because, you know, he doesn't have a stick and he's just trying to get in people's way, block a shot, which he did. But there was a, there was one play on there and I don't remember who the player was from Tampa because it was kind of out of the, almost off the screen. But he just – he sensed his moment where he could finally take a run at the guy at the blue line and try to get him out of his own, and he did. So uh, that was a great sequence by Anders. And maybe if Anders shows up in the Zoom tomorrow, I'll write about him. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, the moment that will be remembered from this game um, and, you know, and, and who knows how far this is going to take the Islanders deeper into the playoffs. But they get to a game six. But the moment that's going to be remembered now going forward is Semyon Varlamov doing a headfirst slide into the celebration. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Jordan Everly obviously had a pretty good celebration for his goal as he came around and was skating. But that was completely overshadowed by what Semyon did. Uh, Colin, how much did you enjoy that? I, I I just I thought it was the bee's knees. I, I I thought it was it was great. It was I wrote my whole story about him diving into the pile there. It was, it was tremendous. It was a uh, listen for a guy who I literally have not seen him smile 
Uh, I've not heard him crack a joke this whole postseason run. I mean, I, I, you're around him every day during the regular season. Did, did you see him smile at all in the whole regular season at all? You, you, you get, like, sort of wry, subtle smiles out of him. <laughs> um, I, I, <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's with the media. Yeah, I, I've seen him. I don't want to say yuck it up. I've never seen him yuck it up. But, you know, <laughs> He gets into conversations with teammates. I know, I know him and Leo Komarov talking Russian, and they're, they're laughing about something. Um, <laughs> but it shocked me, just that, because you don't that expect dive. that from him. <laughs> that dive, that was just – that's the best thing I've seen this postseason. Absolutely. The, the, the video of it, which the, giant, the Islanders tweeted out, is such a perfect – it's just a, a, a well, like, sort of framed video. It just really captures the moment. And I think Andrew's right. If, if the Islanders win this series and make this an even more special run, that will definitely be one of the images that people uh, take away from it. But my question is, you know, would Thomas Grice have done it? Because as stoic as Semyon Varlamov <laughs> is, I would be even more shocked to see Thomas Grice do that. But I guess we may never know. But I, was just, I, I, have, a, I have a hard time believing Grice would have done that. Yeah, I, in the between the two of them, I think Barlamov is slightly the, the more likely to dive across. And, I suppose. And, but what I was also thinking in the Zoom when Andrew asked, you know, referenced it as a Pete Rose dive, I'm like, does Semyon Varlamov familiar with Pete Rose's work? Not a, no, I mean, I guess I could have gone Ricky Henderson. I mean, <laughs> I it, wouldn't it, have known him either. No, is every baseball player now slides. Head yeah, first. but so, baseball is not big. Baseball is not real big in Russia, from what I understand. So no, well, but Johnny Boychuk got it. He laughed. No, I know. No, I know. <laughs> okay, Johnny Boychuk got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked, Andrew, about like mixing up the lines. That was our big thing. That people yeah. on Twitter were like, "He's got to change the lines," and he did. <laughs> He did and he didn't. I mean, I, I guess you flip-flop Eberly and Clutterbuck to start. That's about it, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's, you know, what what else was he? And, and you know, obviously he brought in – he only played with 11 forwards. So, that fourth line had uh, – and I was trying to keep track of uh, of who was playing with Komarov and, and Broussard uh, at various shifts. And I saw early on that – he was just throwing a, you know, uh, whoever was up, I guess. So one time it was Nelson, another time it was Pajot, one time it was Barzell. But it seemed toward the end that it was almost always Barzell. Like it was, yeah. it was the two fourth line guys, and Barzell was getting the extra shift just about every time. Well, with with the way Matthew can control the puck on his stick, you you want that guy on the ice as much as possible, um, and. and I mean, that guy's legs never gets tired. I mean, they, they really don't. I mean, I, I, I looked it up. Uh, the, the Islanders had uh, five guys who played 30 minutes or more. And actually what what's, was surprising a little bit was Nikita Kucherov was the uh, ice time leader. At, yeah, I saw, I saw that. That was weird. 36-19. But, uh, you know, Brock Nelson played 30-46 and uh, – Nick Letty had 31 on the dot. Adam Pellick had 31.59. Uh, Josh Bailey had 31.11. And Barzell, right here, 31.28. So, you, you know, you're right. Uh, Barry kept going to him. And uh, 
it was such a strange game because you, you got the feel. Ryan Pulak scores the goal, and it's the fourth straight game the Islanders have taken a one nothing lead. And, you know, this time they actually held the lead for, you know, into the next period, right, rather than giving <laughs> yeah. it up two shifts, you know, a shift or two later. But you got the sense as the game went on, and it wasn't because Andre Vasilevsky had, like, the greatest Andre Vasilevsky game of all time. It, it just felt like they were just shooting into him or missing the net consistently and you just as I was watching this game I, I was having growing doubts as to whether the Islanders were ever going to be able to score a second goal here I, I don't know if you felt that way I actually thought the Islanders I liked the game the Islanders but I mean it, it wasn't attractive to watch but but I think it was very Islander like in terms of just choking them off and not giving them you know anything uh any any sort of real opportunities and stuff um but, you know, in typical Ireland fashion, I didn't, I didn't think they got, like, those unbelievable chances. I, I think that there were other games uh, in this series where they've gotten more good chances. But the one, the one that stood out was Barzal in that, in that overtime breakaway there. Vasilevsky uh, was good on that. Vasilevsky made the save there. So, uh, yeah. so you know, I mean, it was – you know, it was a, it was a, it was a really good game uh, by the Islanders, and and you know, let's let's be honest, Tampa was missing its first line center, and Kucherov, I think, may have been, you know, he was dinged up a little bit uh, at points during the game, uh, and but I think this is an impressive uh, an impressive save by the Islanders to, uh, you know, keep their season going. But it is it is interesting how much less. I mean, obviously, the Lightning still have weapons. But it is interesting how much less scary they are when Point wasn't there. I mean, they, yeah, there's you know when there's when when Hedman has the puck or Kucherov or some of these guys, you're like, oh, you know, you expect something big to happen. But taking Point away really just kind of made them seem less overwhelming. And if he can't come back, which it certainly seems questionable, uh, that's a huge opening for the Islanders to uh, just get him off the ice. You know, one of the things Neil with uh, with with him out. Um, and I, I don't. I haven't looked at the, the stats for everybody, but I know the Islanders um, did pretty well at the faceoff circle. You know, Pajot was very good. Uh, Nelson was very good as well. Um, and that's you, you know those the Islanders have had problems in, in this postseason where they've iced the puck and then lost the faceoff and given up a goal. And and uh, that that didn't happen. Uh, in this game because I think um, not that they iced the puck a ton, but but I think because they were they were better than fifty percent of the faceoff dot, and um, you know, and, and maybe if Point was was playing, as opposed to um, Anthony Sorelli, right? Sorelli, Sorelli, right? If if that was Point taking those draws instead of Sorelli, you know, who knows? Without Point, yes, the Lightning looked different. But I'll tell you what: every time the puck is on Victor Hedman's stick, now, yeah. You, yeah. if you're not, you know, if you're an Islander fan, I think you're cringing. Because this guy is just money. Uh, that was his eighth. Kucherov too. Kucherov, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he 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 had one on the right side where, and also the one uh, was it in overtime where he almost slid it in. He hits the uh, outside on the left side. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, he almost broke poor Johnny Boy, Boychuk's ribs there with that with that one shot, right? Yeah, Johnny Johnny had an interesting night. I mean, he had to be pushed off the ice like a three year old by by Varlamov. 
That's also something I've never seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what I was going to say about Victor Hedman is he's got eight goals now, and no defenseman has had more goals in the playoffs since Brian Leach for the play, for the Rangers in 1994. You know, he's in some rare air there with, you know, Paul Coffey and Bobby Orr. The, the, those are the, the kind of defensemen that score eight, nine goals in the, in the playoffs. He's, he's got such a weird style. It's like, I guess because of his hugeness, he just sort of like skates around sort of casually, like as if he was like a grown-up playing with a bunch of kids. And he's like, oh, I can get a shot whenever I feel like it. You know, he kind of swoops around and waits for his chance. He doesn't look like he's agitated. Uh, but but speaking of defenseman scoring, another thing we had talked about on our last or one of our other podcasts was, uh, you know, how important it was to get a goal for Pollock and how with all those blasts from the point, how, how none of them got in. You know, so getting him that goal was obviously as big as it was a goal. But, you know, getting him involved and scoring is, would be another huge boost for them. Yeah, that, that power was, play goal at that. That was Pulak's first goal in the uh, in the postseason since Game Two against the Panthers. Uh, I think that's 19 games he went without a goal. Or uh, and and the power play was one for three with that, yes. that goal. Yeah, yeah they, they're, they're, uh, they did get the power play goal, but then the other like it must have been their second power play it was embarrassing. <laughs> that, last, that third power play was horrible. Yeah, but you know what? They still win the special teams battle because they managed to kill off a four-minute penalty kill. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier, what was it, 1837 of the third period, and then it goes, you know, 237 into overtime. And uh, that, that to me, was huge. I mean, uh, not just to me. I think to anyone – you know, watching. I don't want to say it was a turning point because, you know, they still had to go into the second overtime. But, I mean, it, it wouldn't have been surprising if the Lightning had come out with a power play goal there. You know, this is a, this is a media thing which nobody cares about. But I was thinking about after the game how in a non-Zoom world, you know, that's the kind of thing where in a locker room you get a kind of a quick comment from a guy where they won the game and you can go up to Bo and say, you know, how relieved were you after that? <laughs> happen. I mean, they're not going to bring him into the Zoom room for that. But, you know, that's one of the little nuances of what we can't offer readers that we normally would. I just thought about that, you know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, know, I know it's not as important as the fact they won. But, you know, that's the kind of thing we like to try to give people is to go up to a guy like him and ask about that. Well, because the, the pain that Bo was in, the anguish, right. was so palatable. Right. When he skated to the penalty box, I mean, if you have a half a heart, you feel bad for the guy or, or if you're a Lightning fan, you know. But, I mean, the guy just realized, you know, that that could have been it for the Islanders series. He's, you know, he's got to sit in the penalty box. And if they manage to make it out of the third period, he's got to go through that whole intermission knowing he's got to skate right back to that penalty box. I felt awful for Bo. and. Uh, you know, but when I asked Ryan Pulak about it, I mean, his response was pretty classic. He goes, yeah, you know, it was a tough call. It was a penalty, but we knew we were going to kill that off for Bo. I was like, all right, you know. It's- well, I can say that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is one of those situations where, you know, there's no question psychologically having it broken up between the two periods kind of helps, I, I think. 
Yes. And it just seems like two normal power plays. So. Yeah. No, it was like they had killed off back-to-back power plays. Right. I think four-minute power plays are, are, are pretty tough to kill off. I mean, just, you know, just in the bigger picture here, I mean, despite the fact that we, you know, I still think the Lightning are better when they're healthy. They do have more firepower. However, you know, they've played four games now that were pretty, you know, pretty even. I mean, if, if you throw out game one and you just look at this series, you, you say, all right, it's two even teams or two, two, you know, anything could happen. So I think anything can happen. Agreed. Well, I mean, it's going to happen in game six. Um, they got to go through six to get to a seven if they do, but you think Barry sticks with 11 and seven here. Yes. Is it easier to play 11 and seven if the opposing coach is also playing 11 and seven? Probably so. Um, but I, I think, you know, look, I, maybe I'm old, but I recall. Maybe? <laughs> well, not, let me rephrase that. I am old, and maybe because I'm old, I look at it a little differently. I look at it like I just remember the Penguins of the 90s always played 11 and 7. Because why wouldn't you give Mario Lemieux a double shift now and again. Why wouldn't you give Yager a double shift? And they would do that. And, and even when Mario wasn't playing, they'd still play 11 and seven. Then they'd just give that double shift to Yager or Ron Francis or somebody else. So I don't get the big deal about why nobody wants to play 11 and seven. I think you do it. And I think, well, it doesn't always work because I think coaches are weirded out by it somehow, but it, it works for the lightning and it worked for the Islanders tonight. And I, I don't see why you wouldn't keep doing it. Yeah, I thought you were going to reference when you said you were old. I thought you were going to reference, like, I, I mean, this this four line stuff is newfangled hockey. I mean, you talk to the the old school guys, like you know, when Phil Esposito came up, you know, there were three lines. I'm not that old, man. <laughs> well, see, I, I thought you were going there. <laughs> now, what else we got? You know, I I, I would tend to think that Braden Point is going to obviously make every effort to get back in the lineup. But still, the, the pressure to me is still on the, on the, the lightning here. The, the Islanders can, you know, yeah, their they're season's on the, uh, on still on the brink, but they can play this loose game. You know, they can be somewhat loosey-goosey because I, I think the pressure is on the lightning to close them out, not the other way around. This, uh, but as far as point goes, uh, it, it, whatever is going on with him, and obviously I haven't examined him, and I know he's had some serious issues in the past, but it's it's a weird, it, it's a weird thing in that he left w- with something that seemed serious, misses a game, comes back, looks great, yeah, and then leaves again, then leaves again with something that seems serious again. So it's just it's it's almost like what like what happened was his hip like dislocated and they snapped it back into place like I don't understand how a guy could go from badly injured to looking great to badly injured again it's just it's odd. Yeah, I mean you know the Islanders are banged up, but I'm sure the Lightning's banged up too, especially guys that that get a ton of ice time as he does, and and that's just the nature of the playoffs. And is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I mean, that's just kind of that's kind of standard operating procedure for the postseason. So I don't know. I mean, I I, I would think, look, if, if you know, John Cooper's a smart guy, right? I mean, you're up three one. You have a game to play with. You know, th- there's no lock that this guy is you know was on his deathbed. I mean, it could have just been like, you know what? We're up 3-1. 
we have a game to play with. Why don't you just, you know, take this game and, and see if, if that'll help you feel better in case we really need you in game six or seven. So uh, I, would, I would anticipate that he'll play. You know, I don't know what it is. I mean, it looked like he was limping when he came off in the last game. Uh, and when he, you know, the game was a game two, I guess. He got uh, yeah. crunched into the, he fell and, and, and went into the, into the boards. And Bullock, I think, landed on top of him and his helmet came off. So I thought it might have been a head thing. But maybe, maybe it's a leg problem. Maybe it's a knee or, or, or something that, uh, you know, they're just saying, well, listen, just take a couple of days off and, and uh, let's try and win it without you. And if we can't, you'll be there in game six. But as far as Andrew's point about the pressure, you know, it's like, and I've written about this, and it's, yeah, it's totally true that the pressure's on the Lightning, A, because they had a 3-1 lead, B, because they're considered the favorite. You know, it would be a huge setback for them if they don't make the final. But you always have to, whether you're an Islander player or a fan or a media member, you always sort of have to remind yourself, wow, you know, there's six wins from winning a Stanley Cup. So, therefore, there's not – you know, not winning the series is a huge loss, even though we all understand they, they've done a great job getting this far, and it's a, it's a success even if they lose. But you always have to sort of keep that opportunity in mind because of how rare it is. You know, while, while we're talking about injuries, I know Cal Clutterbuck was back on the Islanders' bench for the third period, and, and he continued playing through the rest of that game. I, I feel like there, there's a banged-up guy as well. Um, and I think that bear is watching going into Thursday's game six. But the good thing is uh, we'll be able to talk all about that again after game six as uh, we continue to give you these uh, uh, frequent pods. Uh, Colin, Neil, thank you so much again for uh, jumping on tonight and, and staying up, uh, what is this, a early morning schmooze as they call it on uh, on the Island Ice podcast, if I'm not going to be sued for using that. Neil, am I going to be sued for using that? I don't know if Summers has that trademark. I'm going to guess not. Okay, good. Sorry, sorry, Steve Summers. <laughs> didn't mean to, you know, as I steal from everyone, uh, I didn't mean to steal from you. But uh, listen, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 52 of the Island Ice podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross, A. Gross Newsday. I've been joined by my Newsday teammates, Colin Stevenson, Colin S. Newsday, and Neil Best at Sportswatch. And uh, you can find everything the three of us have written on the Islanders and their postseason run on the Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports. And until episode 53, thank you so much for listening and happy continued hockey, everybody.